Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the Going Deeper podcast. This is our last episode in the First Peter series, going through First Peter chapter 5, verses 6, all the way to the end to verse 14. And with that, for one last time in First Peter, let's go deeper. Well, here we are for one last time in First Peter uh, going over chapter five, verses six through 14. Pastor Danny, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back for this last installment of the book. It's exciting. And so we got a lot of things to cover and then we'll talk a little bit about the future uh, at the end. But let's start with verses six through nine. It reads, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So we've been trying to categorize different um, sections of this text, and in this one we have three specific commands. I know in your sermon you mentioned the number of commands in First Peter. We've been following those, and here we have three more. Um, the first one I want to talk about is humble yourselves. And I find it kind of interesting because it brings up this concept of humility in the context of suffering. And I know those are two kind of, maybe not opposed, but hard to reconcile attitudes or even situations to, to walk through. So I'm wondering, uh, Pastor Danny, if you could just talk about right off the bat, how does humbling yourself help us in these times of suffering? Yeah, this concept of humility in verse six here is also mentioned in the preceding verse in verse five, where Peter commands them to clothe themselves with humility. So there's this concept here of kind of relinquishing the control of your own life and relegating yourself to the hand of God. So that's kind of the, the way that humility looks in verse six here is that you're humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. And on one hand, it kind of feels like God's hands on top of you and keeping you down in terms of humility. But then he says that he may lift you up in due time. So there's this idea that we cast off our own agenda. We cast off our own pride. We cast off our own way of living this life in this world. And instead humbling ourselves, according to Peter, means putting on this posture, this attitude, where we put ourselves in God's hand or under God's hand, and we trust our present and our future to him. And I think that's really helpful as we talk about suffering in the world, because there's a number of ways that we and the folks in his day might have been tempted to respond to a world filled with potential suffering. And humility and trusting the Lord is probably the best way to go about stepping into a season of suffering. I think of Peter talking about Jesus on the cross when he was suffering. Uh, this is a few chapters ago where he talks about when he suffered, he didn't make any threats. He entrusted himself to God who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And for Jesus, the idea of suffering was connected to this humble posture of trusting God for judgment, trusting God for safety or whatever he was trusting God for in that moment on the cross. And also this humble posture of just keeping his head down, so to speak, and going through this painful season, the most painful season in human history anyone had to endure 
of hardship in order to get to the glory on the other side. And so Peter is toying with these concepts throughout the whole book of enduring suffering as people who entrust ourselves to the Lord. It's not about us. It's not about our name. It's not about our glory. It's not about fighting back. It's simply trusting him and his will for our lives. Hopefully throughout this series, you've been seeing that Peter is almost like this rhythmic writer. He kind of follows all these patterns along the way. And one of them that stood out in this uh, very first verse is, you know, the mighty hand of God language and how that refers back to a lot of language that was used when Israel was under bondage. And so it was like a reassuring thing that even in the worst suffering that God's hand was over it. And so we, we find in this next section, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We see more familiar language, right? We've seen be alert and of sober mind already in uh, chapter one, but in chapter one, it was talking about being ready for uh, something to come. We find here a new rhythm that is introduced at the very end of the book. And it's quite fascinating that it hasn't come up until now. And that's the devil. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so you figure with all of these conversations about suffering, you would have figured that, you know, Peter would have brought up the devil and Satan somewhere, but he doesn't until now. Is there anything significant about him placing uh, the concept of the devil and thinking about this spiritual war uh, right here at the very end? I think that the devil is according to Peter and according to all of scriptures and church history is real. And often we forget about him. And yet I don't know if the reason he doesn't show up until now is because Peter forgot about him. (laughs) I almost wonder if, and we can't know this for sure, but I, I wonder if Peter is intentionally holding back on talking about spiritual warfare because the primary, it's not enemy, but I'll just use the word right now. The primary enemy he's talking about in the book is or are the people in this world who are hurling insults at you and who are slandering you and are making life miserable for you or the government agency that's keeping you down or the marriage relationship that's destroying you. He's talking about a lot of human entities in this book that brings on suffering. So part of what I wondered as I wrestled with this is, I wonder if the reason the devil is mysteriously absent throughout the book is because Peter is trying to not let off the hook Mm -hmm. humans who are causing difficulty in the life of believers. And yet... Uh, Like you mentioned, he talked about being alert in chapter one, talking about uh, the hope that's stored up. He talks about being self-controlled and alert again in chapter four when he's talking about the need to pray. So it's almost like he's kind of warming us up to this idea of the spiritual realities of this world. And the truth that we can't get around is part of the reason that this world is a hard place to live. It's the Babylon, so to speak, is because of the spiritual warfare that exists on our planet and the fact that the world is, according to the scriptures, under the control of the devil, in a sense, until God comes back and sets up his kingdom forever. And so I am glad, in a sense, he talked about Satan, because you really can't talk about hardship, suffering, chaos, tumultuous life and living on this planet without talking about uh Satan, who is referred to as the God of this age or the God of this world uh, after the fall as we read through the scriptures. And so I'm glad he brought him up. I don't know why he waited till now, um, but I do think, I don't think the enemy were humans in this book, but if there was an enemy in this book, it was people until now. And I think he's trying to keep the spotlight on that as long as possible. Hmm. Kind of reminds me of the tension that C.S. Lewis brings out 
when he says like there's two grave errors when thinking about it like one is like this over obsession and the other is like ignoring um the fact of his existence so it's kind of like oh man placing him at the end is kind of striking that balance um but we move on to this third command that says to resist him standing firm in the faith i'm struck by the reasoning that he gives here it says because you know not that you know you have this victory but that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering and so again it almost feels like he's grafting in that community of saints that he was talking about in first peter 2 um talking about hey we can do this and you know i feel like in our culture we're prone to do it alone but it's almost like he's saying hey resist him stand firm because you know that around you there are other people undergoing the same kind of thing so um you know we've been talking sprinkling in these ideas of community throughout the podcast um but i'm wondering how do we take our suffering and then you know shine light on it through the lens of thinking about other believers and what they're going through is does that lead to some sort of like comparison uh should we compare should we you know how do we relate when we have sufferings and we know other people have sufferings too? That's a great question. Cause I think sometimes that is how we console ourselves in times of suffering is we say, you know what, this diagnosis was really hard, but I know somebody who actually died of this disease and it looks like I'll be okay. So I'm going to feel okay because it's not as bad as so-and-so or, you know, Hey, I'm going through this right now financially, but you know what? I know there's people all around the world who can't even afford to eat. And so I'm, I'm doing a lot better than it feels, you know, and that comparison aspect is something that is very natural to humans. And sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not, but that's not what Peter's doing when he's talking about suffering. What he's talking about is finding solace in knowing that we're in it together mm. with believers all over the place. So it's not, Hey, these guys are going through it too. So it's not <laughs> so bad or it's worse than you, or you're winning the suffering battle, but really, Hey, remember in this world, where you feel like this minority, where no one's a Christian but you and the small amount of people in the church, whatever it is, just know that around the world, there are believers who are also suffering for Jesus and we're in it together. I took some time this last week as I was studying this passage to kind of look back at the five chapters of the book because Peter kind of held off on commands for chapter one. We talked about that a bunch of weeks ago Mm -hmm. and then started putting some commands into our lives of do this, do that, do this, do that. And so part of what I researched was, okay, what types of commands is Peter giving to God's people to equip them to survive and thrive as exiles in a foreign world? And I really expected that most of the commands would be commands of how to engage with culture better, the world outside the doors of the church. Mm -hmm. And I was very surprised to see that out of the 35 commands in 1 Peter, only three of them related to how to relate to folks outside the church, the primary enemy, so to speak, that the book is written about. And all of the commands, the other 32 commands are either written about an attitude that we need to take or a certain lifestyle we need to live or how to relate with the believers in the church to find solace within the church of God. In fact, the whole third section of this book, if we were to break it up into sections, is really about how to thrive in this foreign place by finding a home within the body of the believers called the church, the the, the family of God. And so I think we may underestimate the power of Christian community, even in suffering. But if we look back to this book, and if you want to read it again through this lens, Peter does not. 
Peter would say, if you want to survive and thrive as a suffering person in this world, number one, watch your attitude. Make sure you've got a good godly attitude. Number two, watch the way you live. Live as an example. Live holy lives. Live in anticipation of Christ's return. Number three, live with strong, loving relationships with the body of believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And he'll talk about some of those people in a minute. And then third or fourth and lastly is, okay, now there's some things you need to do in relationship to the world outside our doors. Mm. So it was very fascinating to me to see, even though this book is primarily directed at how to relate to a world outside our doors, there are more commands to how to, to relate to the church in this book than how to relate to the outside world. So I, I do think even talking, summing it up here, talking about suffering in the body is consistent with his argument throughout the whole world, throughout the whole book, which is that if you're going to survive as a suffering exile in this world, you're going to need Christian community around you. That's a, that's a major part of thriving. If you were following the podcast in the series, we recommended about halfway through this series, uh, the book by John Mark Comer, uh, Live No Lies. And the reason I broke this up into three parts, uh, three questions, uh, was because I felt like it did align with, you know, the desires of the flesh, the disordered desires of the flesh. And then finally, it, it calls out the enemy, the devil, the the father of all lies. And then finally, like you said, it lands pretty significantly on the idea that, you know, the church is here to build this type of anti-culture that is building each other up, that is like sharing in the sufferings that, you know, through all this. And so I, I so appreciate, you know, First Peter's lens and, and focus on community here. And so um, with that, we're going to move on to verses 10 through 11, and I'll read it really quick. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So it feels like a, a kind of this, another concluding sentence. Uh, I know a couple weeks ago we talked about another sentence that ended in amen as well. So maybe he just can't come to the conclusion here or whatnot. But, um, you know, I see a couple things here. I've been so struck in this series Again, that Peter, just as it's surprising that Peter lands on community, I think it's been really surprising for me for Peter to constantly land on where our eyes are fixed and what our perspective is, what our worldview is. And so I see it here again. You know, you are called to his eternal glory. So he's introducing that eternal concept. And then he juxtaposes that with saying, you have suffered only a little while. And so I wanted to kind of bring some practicality to this idea that, hey, we're called as Christians to live for an eternal glory, to to fix our eyes on what's eternal as we suffer in this bodily state for a little while. And so I wanted to ask you, Pastor Danny, in your experience as a pastor and your experience in ministry, um, how do we how do we live with this perspective well? What are some things that we can do, that we can practice, maybe some spiritual disciplines that we can hold on to as we you know, try our, our, our best to set our eyes on the things that are eternal and not, you know, primarily focus on what we've suffered here for a little while, as Peter would say. Yeah, we started in the first chapter of this book uh, talking about how Peter addresses this audience. And so now that we're at the end and he's closing it up, it's interesting. I'm noticing that he brings back some of the same concepts to close the book as he did to open the book which was really, if you remember, and if you want to go back and listen, you can, uh, that Peter started by, by 
addressing the fact that these folks who are acutely suffering in a specific region of the world, in a specific place and time, are not primarily seen by God, and they shouldn't primarily see themselves as grounded in a specific context or place and time. But Peter says at the beginning of the book, instead, your identity needs to be found in your place in God's redemptive timeline. Mm. And there was a lot of look back to the Old Testament and looking back to Christ's coming and the sufferings, the glories that would be revealed and where we land in that. We're here in this place for a little while, but in the grand scheme of things, we are just here for a blip on this planet and then we will be redeemed and we'll be rescued, right? These are, like we talked about a few chapters ago, these people who are causing us to suffer even in this world, they're going to have to stand before God too. So they're in the same timeline redemptively, except they have not been redeemed. So there's a different future. And so my first tip would be kind of the tip that Peter gives us throughout this whole book is to work to, to ground yourself and remind yourself that you primarily exist, not in the East Bay not in 2022, not in whatever state of life you are right now, but you primarily exist within the redemptive timeline of God's people. You are part of the church of Jesus. You are on this planet for a mission. You are awaiting his return. You will someday live with him for eternity, which is why I think Peter uses this phrase, suffered for a little while, to just remind them that they are a, a vapor, a breath, a blip um, in this world in this much larger timeline where they will live for eternity with Jesus. And so I think the first thing is really just being in the scriptures and being in prayer and being in a mindset to remind ourselves, okay, I'm just here for a moment, right? We'll talk in a minute about, um, you know, kind of how, how he ends this book and uh, how he gives advice to folks and what advice maybe we might give for, for folks as they live life in this world. And, and I think that's, that's part of it is just realize we're here for a moment and so how do we steward the moment we're in, but how do we remember that we're going to be with him forever? So part of that is just that, that basic posture. But the second one, I think, too, is uh, this is going to sound very like cliche, <laughs> but one of the ways that I think that we can stay grounded in God's reality is through gratitude. You know, it's Thanksgiving next week, and uh, we are preparing to have this day where we're going to around and, and say thanks about the things we're thankful for. And one of the things that we see in the scriptures is that giving thanks is actually almost a way that we can pray. You know, Paul in First Timothy 2 talks about uh, giving prayers and intercessions and supplications and thanksgivings for all people. This idea that part of your prayer life is gratitude, giving thanks to God for the work that he's doing. And I think especially in this time of year when we're already thinking about Thanksgiving and we're thinking about the holidays, we're thinking about what we're thankful for, let's not forget that part of the way that we ground ourselves in God's timeline is to take moments to bring not just prayer to him, but to bring gratitude to him. Because I think if you if you adopt a practice of gratitude and start quantifying the things that you are grateful for, you'll move pretty quickly through you know, through I'm thankful for food and my family and I'm thankful for all the cliche things of this world. And you'll start to find yourself grateful for the realities that are the truest ones about you um, that God has spoken truth into your life. And so I do think a practice of gratitude can help ground us in the timeline that is more true of us than what meets the eye. We will be eternally with God and we'll become grateful for the things of God we become reminded that that's our primary reality we live in. So that would be my two places to start would be ground yourself in God's redemptive timeline and build a practice of gratitude into your prayer life that I believe will help ground you back into that timeline of redemption. 
one of the things that I fell in love with scripture was that very concept was just uh, putting all the pieces together and then realizing that you come in a time, a certain time in space that is centralized on the person of Jesus Christ, the, the pivotal figure in all of history and, and realizing that like your story is sort of the biblical story outlined and you find your place in it. And so that is a good, um, you know, measure as to when you're reading the scriptures, always finding yourself in it and seeing where you are in the timeline because it's, you know, it's God's time. So I think it's great. Uh, which leads to this final question. I have two last questions here to close out our time together. Um, and the first one is in fact about the scriptures. Let me read the passage for you. And then I'll ask the question, uh, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so some of you uh, longtime listeners for the past 20 weeks have been wondering when is the skeptic question going to come in? And I feel like I have a pretty interesting skeptic question because when you look at the commentaries or, you know, people describing this specific passage, there just seems to be a lot of unknowns. So for example, you know, Silas, we were pretty familiar with who this might be in Acts 15. There's uh, Silas or Silvanus, some, uh, you know, texts have that interpreted as, um, but the unknown behind him is, was he the writer? Um, because some people say like this Greek is way too good to be coming from like a fisherman. And so it was Silvanus Silas, a a carrier, a pseudonym for, for Peter, all these different theories about who wrote this book. The second one, we're, we're kind of sure who Mark is. Uh, it's probably the gospel writer, Mark, and uh, he uh, carries along with Paul on his journeys and um, probably had some interactions with Peter. Um, and then finally, there's this phrase, she in Babylon chosen with you. And so people are all, all over the place with what this could be. You know, could this be Peter's wife that maybe we don't know about it? Is this like female leaders in the church? Is, you know, is this the church in general? Is this Peter's church in the literal city of quote unquote Babylon, which could have been a code word for Rome? All I'm saying in this question is that it feels like there are a lot of unknowns, uh, things that have been lost to history. Which leads to my skeptical question, if there are unknowns here and there are some, a lot of questions that, you know, scholars disagree on in this text, how can we be sure that there aren't more unknowns that jeopardize the message of scripture in other places? Um, I think a lot of skeptics would bring that question to passages like these where we just don't, we're not sure. So how do we reconcile that question? Yeah, the that question of how can we trust the Bible is a question that people bring up a lot. And folks that I talk to who ask that question, a lot of times they come with this narrative that the Bible was, you know, put together by the church as a, you know, a tool for whatever reason they believe the tool was put together for either to propagate this made up religion or to keep people down or whatever it was. And then over time it was polished and refined and changed so many times through many, through so many hands, so many languages that today our scriptures are unrecognizably connected to the scriptures of the days before. Right. Um, 
which I feel like some of these unknowns in the scripture for me are one of the greatest arguments <laughs> that the scripture is true and original, right? I mean, at the same time, we can read the Greek manuscripts, we can read the original text, and we can see it has not been changed over time. We can look at the translations from generation to generation and see that it stays the same. All, most of those things we could just refute very quickly. But in terms of those question marks, if the Bible was a book that was intentionally edited in order to be clear in propagating some sort of truth, we would have edited out all the confusing parts, right? right? Um, yeah. And yeah, when we read these things, we are very acutely aware that Peter is writing in a specific age, in a specific day and time. He had literal friends with names, some of whom we recognize and some that we don't recognize. And I feel like nothing screams to us through the text more, this is an original writing, than these scribblings at the end of like, hey, I just want to say hi from some friends. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I read about that guy in Acts 15, right? Uh so for me, these types of moments in the text are moments where we get a window into the reality and authenticity of scripture, mm. not the opposite. I think in terms of the question about, you know, how, how do we trust the scripture if we don't know the answer to some of these questions? I think one of the things that, that we can wrestle with is we know which questions we know the answers to mm. and which questions we don't. And so if you want to be a person who goes on a study of the reliability of the scriptures, you can go to texts like this and be like, wow, wow, we don't really know who this person in Babylon was. Or, oh, wow, we don't really know who Mark was with sureness or whatever. And that's fine. That's not going to shatter your faith one way or the other. But the more you go on this journey, you realize the stuff that you're wrestling with that we're unknown in the scripture is they're pretty few and far between and they're pretty inconsequential. Mm. I've always believed that as God has crafted the writing of his text of scripture, he has made very clear to us the things that are meant to be clear to us and not as clear to us some things that don't need to be that clear to us. Like I'm very thankful that I don't have clarity around who is in Babylon, but I do have clarity about Jesus and his mission and his gospel. Right, I right. do have clarity if you look at our doctrinal statement about all the doctrine of our church, but I don't have clarity about some minutia points of doctrine. Mm. And I feel like that's on purpose from the Lord to help us to focus in and keep the main thing the main thing, which I think part of the lamentable truth about the church today is a lot of denominations and a lot of Christians have really distinguished themselves around what they believe about really minute doctrinal points, mm. which really is not the point, right? And so there's all denominations formed about the translation of some word that really at the grand scheme of things doesn't mean that much. And we agree on all these core facets of the faith, 99% of the faith, and this little 1% of do you baptize somebody forward or backward or whatever <laughs> becomes the thing to divide a church over, right? Um, so we don't have a lot of churches and denominations dividing over the Trinity or the gospel or these major elements in Christianity. I don't think anyone's dividing around the identity of who is in Babylon, but I do think I do think that part of that doctrine of the propiscuity of scripture is that God has intended that the scriptures would be clear. And for me, the things that are unclear, I can make like guesses around and we can do educated guesses around, but none of them truly matter. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just, I do take heart in knowing that we're not having this conversation around any of the significant theological truth in first Peter. We're talking about like, Hey, is this son Mark his literal son? Or is that like a word for like my son of the faith, like in other places. Right. Um, so yeah, I would, I would just, uh, I would challenge anyone who is a skeptic in this area to, to not to do your own research, but to go and talk to someone who has studied the scriptures for years, who's familiar with the history of church and the history of translation. These are not hard questions for, 
Christian people who are educating these things to answer because the church has done a very good job translating the Old and New Testament through the manuscripts, through the ages, and it's very easy to point out what is clear and what is unclear, and the things that are unclear are very, very, very minimal. Yeah, it's like the the gap between the Hebrew scriptures is like a thousand years, and it's just like unchanging. And then with the New Testament, we have all sorts of crazy documents. I mean, just all sorts of copies that affirm the text, and it's just so exciting. I, I kind of love that question because you know I'll, I'll echo your sentiment. If you do have these questions, definitely talk to somebody who's done the research and you know has you know engaged with that topic because it's just so reassuring that you know what we're reading here in first Peter was his letter to these people that were suffering. And uh, we can graft a lot from that. And so pastor Danny, we have reached the conclusion wow. of first Peter. So thank you for listening on, um, you know, at the end here, I just wanted to give you the floor. You had three points in your sermon that, um, were kind of your last words to the congregation here. And, uh, I was just wondering, you know, for the sake of the name show, for the sake of the show's name, <laughs> for the sake of the show's name, could you take us deeper into these last three remarks that you made as your takeaway points? Yeah, I think some of preaching a book like this is uh, an attempt by me, um, who is preaching the bulk of, of the sermons here, to embody the book and figure out how to encapsulate the theme uh, in these last points, right? And so uh, my, kind of my final thoughts, if you were here on Sunday, were that as you embark on this journey ahead of you, as you walk away from First Peter, just keep in mind three things. Number one, you are here on purpose. Number two, you are here temporarily. And number three, you are here on mission. And the reason that I came up with those three was really not, I don't think it was through like deep research into anything. It was really <laughs> me almost taking a step back and saying, okay, I'm going to put myself back in the store world of First Peter what is the main like overarching theme he's trying to tell these people, right? And so I'm thinking of, like we talked about today, the redemptive timeline of God and how they are here just as a blip on this timeline, but they will live forever with Jesus in eternity. But at the same time, he's put them here on purpose and he hasn't just whisked them away into heaven, but they are here in this foreign place to give glory to God. And if we are here temporarily for a purpose, what is that purpose? It's to live on the mission of God, the mission of God as we uh, serve him here on this planet. And so part of it is that theme of God has not forsaken us. God has not forgotten about us. You are not here because God was unaware the world would be like this, but you are here as exiles in this world just for a minute, but you're here on purpose and you're here because God has something for you to do in this place. We can live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they might see our good works and glorify God on the day of visitation. Man, what a great word to end it on, Pastor Danny. And I feel like I have one more question written down here. And I feel like, you know, if you know me, I love Marvel movies. And one of the things I love about Marvel movies is the post credit scene. And so the post-credit question here, help us look forward to what's coming next, uh, whether it's, you know, the series you have planned, whether it's the season we got coming up here, um, even with this podcast, like how can we utilize it to reach more and more people uh, in our congregation? Now, yeah, I'd love to, we can start by talking about the podcast. You know, we've been, you know, part of what's interesting about podcasting is you and I sit here in this office and we talk and then we upload this thing and we hope people are listening, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are out there and you are listening to this podcast, let us know. Right? Right. You can send an email to me. I'm Danny at threecrosses.org. 
AJ is avanegas at threecrosses.org, A-V-A-N-E-G-A-S at threecrosses.org. Um, we would love to hear from you, uh, just to know that you exist, but to know, hey, if this is helpful for you in any way, what about this podcast is helpful to you? Mm. You know, we are part of a church that uh, really desires to be a healthy church, passionate about reaching lost people for Jesus. So if you're someone who does not know Jesus and this is helpful on your faith journey, let us know. But at the same time, if you're a Christian person and you said, you know what, what I love about this is X, Y, Z, tell us what it is because we are passionate at this church about raising up healthy Christian people whose minds are aligned with the word of God and know what God says about things. And so if this is helpful to you, let us know how, because as we talk about the future of more episodes and what to dive into and how to do it, we'd love to know what is helpful. Tell us what stinks about it too. We don't care, right? We, <laughs> we have thick skins. We just love to make this a helpful resource to you. So podcast level, we'd love to hear from you so that we can make some plans for the coming season. We're walking into Advent, right? The last Sunday in November is the first Sunday of Advent. And so if you have not yet connected with church or you haven't been in a while, this is a great time to come back to church. We're going to spend the Sundays of Advent really doing a classic Advent series, talking about these themes of hope and anticipation, of joy, of peace, of love, and of Christ himself, the gift that brings light into the world. For these next few weeks, it's going to be a very special time. It all culminates in our Christmas Eve services on Christmas Eve. It's going to be unbelievable. So come on back for that. And then next year, we've got in the works some great series. We're talking a lot about our identity next year. We're going to talk about what it means to be made in the image of God. We're going to be talking about some kind of cultural contemporary issues that revolve around human identity in this in this planet and in this culture. We're going to talk about how to, how to take off the parts of us that's taking us down, how to renew our minds and put on the parts of us uh, that God would have us to step into, and we're going to have some fun with it. So that's all coming up next year. We look forward to teaching you all from the scriptures how to honor God with your lives and step into the image of God uh, that he has created you in. So don't miss any of that, and feel free to reach out if you want to talk about any of this anytime. That's awesome. I'm super excited for what's to come. And uh, Pastor Danny, huge thank you to you for sitting down with us. Uh, huge thank you to everybody who came on the show over the last uh, season. Uh, huge shout out to John Tunger for editing yes. these uh, episodes. Even, you know, believe it or not, we actually make mistakes up here and we he make a lot has to edit a lot. So <laughs> special shout out to John Tunger and uh, Pastor Danny. Until next time. 